Hello, and welcome to Fresh Off the Vine, the podcast about money, sometimes about wine, and always about getting better with time. I'm Karen Coyne, Certified Financial Planner Professional and your host. My goal with Fresh Off the Vine is to bring content to help make your life better. As a CFP, sometimes the topic is tied directly to your financial life, sometimes it's more indirect. Financial issues have a way of weaving and vining into the many aspects of our lives, and Fresh Off the Vine is here to open up and uncover these issues. There are many conversations I'd love to have with clients, colleagues, and friends, but we don't always have enough time during a progress meeting or a lunch or a happy hour to cover them all. The Fresh Off the Vine podcast was created as a way to have these conversations in between meetings and also to share expertise that is relevant to you and to your life. Thanks for listening and cheers to living your best life. Returning to work in a COVID world, what you need to know from an HR point of view. To discuss this topic with me today is Lisa Schuster. Lisa is the founder and president of PeopleWorks, a human resources consulting firm. She specializes in small business HR. With 20 years of experience serving as an HR leader in technology, business services, finance, healthcare, pretty much you name it, Lisa's been there and worked in that industry. She's helped many employers gain recognition as an employer of choice or a best place to work, and I'm so happy you can join us today. Welcome, Lisa. Thanks so much for having me, Karen. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I would love to know, I know you're very active, you do webinars, you blog, you share your expertise on LinkedIn. What have been some of the hot topics that you've been talking about recently? Right now, with states and local areas starting to open up, employers are starting to talk about bringing their employees back into the workplace physically and bringing them back from furlough or layoff. And so right now, it's all about how do we bring our employees back, but do it in a manner that is going to be safe and help our employees feel confident about doing that. Got it. Yes. And as I mentioned to you, I would fall in that category as well. We're a team of four. Technically, our office has been closed. And so we, even if I'm popping in the office here and there, we haven't had clients coming in. And so I was just talking to the team the other day about, we need to prepare to start phasing in. And just in my office building, there's a salon that is launching today. They're reopening. There's a gym that I hope will be able to reopen very soon. And then across from us is Johns Hopkins Community Physicians. So let's start with the physicians because they probably had a head start on some of the things that you're about to talk about in terms of what needs to be done versus what is recommended. So first of all, and you mentioned it just a few minutes ago where you said that you were talking to your employees, and we'll get to the safety aspects of all of this, but the communication is going to be other than what you're going to physically do to keep your employees safe, the communication is going to be the number one most important thing that you do because they need to feel safe and you need to be able to communicate to them how you're keeping them safe. And then also why you're bringing them back to work in the first place because many businesses are working remotely and they've had success with working 
remotely. And so the physician's offices and the gym and the salons that you mentioned, those employees need to come back because there's a physical location that their customers go to. But your office may or may not require that employees work there physically. And so you want to communicate your justification for bringing them back. And you also want to have a safety and infection control plan. And even some employee training that covers, here's everything that we're doing to protect you in this environment. So you want to tell them, here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring you back in shifts or in phases. And you're only four employees, but many employers have 20, 50, 100 employees. And we probably don't want to bring 100 employees back at one time. Here's how we're going to come back. We're going to conduct health screenings. And here's how we're going to do that. Here's who will continue to telecommute. Perhaps you talk about staggering the work days, right? So not everyone is coming back at 9 a.m. and leaving at 5.30, especially if you're doing health screenings. We don't want everyone congregating in one area. Here are sanitizing guidelines. Here's how we're going to social distance. So these are all of the things that we want to do to communicate. This is what we want to communicate. And those workplaces that communicate effectively and demonstrate this care and concern to communicate, they're probably going to realize higher loyalty from their employees and then probably increase productivity as well. That makes sense. I'm always fascinated by the fact that it's the really simple but obvious tips that are so effective and so critical. Absolutely. I should take a step back and mention that the type of clients that you work with are typically like small to medium-sized businesses. That That's correct. So primarily businesses that have fewer than 50 employees, organizations that are too small to have an HR professional on site. So I'm their outsourced HR director, and I help them with all aspects of their HR from hiring and through uh, termination and everything in between. So with regards to some of the guidelines that you just mentioned, say like a sanitizing guideline, is that something that you would help them develop and or is that something where there are guidelines that are posted? Yeah, absolutely. And so I mentioned previously that we want to provide, we want to create and provide our employees with a safety and infection control plan. And that is certainly something that I am helping my clients with at this point in time. And this safety and infection control plan, this is something that most businesses should have, but unless you're a large organization or you're in healthcare or another high-risk industry, you probably don't have one. So yes, I am helping my clients draft these plans. Right. Okay. So maybe it's also, I was just thinking a good time to review the employee handbook. I was just thinking about all these plans that we should have as employees, right? Absolutely. Especially if you're an employer that's not used to having your employees work from home. This health emergency has impacted so many things. So work from home, there's been big impacts to benefits plans, even expense management, right? So you have all these employees working from home. What does that mean for business expenses? So there really are a lot of aspects that touch HR. Yes. It's like a, not a can of worms because that has a negative connotation to it, but 
I always just think about how you start one project. It's kind of like you start improving your bathroom. Then you go, you know, (laughs) you were just going to touch it up with paint. And then you go, oh my gosh, you know what? I just realized this really needs to be replaced. Yep. This is out of date. And before you know it, you're doing the whole entire <laughs> It's so true. It's so true. <laughs> <laughs> so, but back to returning to work. So sure. let's talk about what do you see as the top issues after communication? Sure. So in bringing our employees back, obviously we need to make sure that they're coming back to a clean and sanitized workplace. And so if it's been eight weeks or 12 weeks since employees have been in the workplace, you want to get a deep cleaning before you bring everyone back just to give them that comfort. And then once employees are back in the office, we want to make sure that you're getting regular cleanings. And we also want to provide our employees with disinfecting wipes And make sure that you might have your cleaning crew come in once a week or twice a week, but in a COVID world, that's not enough. So you need to schedule disinfecting of regularly touched surfaces. And this isn't encouraging employees to do it occasionally, but it's actually making it someone's job. And you want to consider all surfaces such as door handles and knobs, microwaves, your refrigerator door handle, sink handles, the water cooler button. There is, if you go, I think it's the CDC has, um, and do a search for COVID list and items. Actually, it's put out by the EPA. It's a really long list of cleaning items that will kill COVID and it, and you might find it helpful in your personal life as well. That will certainly be helpful. So cleaning is key. So I would imagine if you're something like a salon, a physician's office, a gym, Mm -hmm. are there maybe different requirements? Again, is there a difference between what's recommended and what's required for business like financial services as opposed to a physician's office? So absolutely. And a physician's office will have more stringent requirements, especially as it pertains to PPE, because you can't socially distance when you're seeing a patient. And so you can't maintain that six feet of distance that's recommended that would be more easy for your company to attain than it would be for a doctor's office. So the CDC has put out really good guidance for different types of employers. Okay. So it's a great resource and they've also been updating it regularly and they're identifying when they update it. So if you're a healthcare provider, if you're a spa or a salon, if you're some sort of recreational type of outfit, the CDC provides very explicit guidance and that that's a great place to start. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you, Lisa, for that information. Sure. What about the reluctant employees, right? For a number of reasons, they may be reluctant to come back. Yeah, it's a really good question. And I don't blame them. The world is a scary place right now. This is where that communication that we discussed is really needed. This is where open dialogue is needed. And we need to understand what their fear is it about. Are they afraid of exposure to the virus? Maybe they're not afraid, but they have childcare issues, right? We're seeing schools are, are still closed. Summer camps will likely be canceled 
hold in many areas, right? This is going to be a huge issue. It will be. And or maybe they're scared because they have an underlying medical condition, or maybe they're just, they're happy at home working in sweats all day. And so there are a lot of nuances here. Now, that being said, some employers will say, we've sanitized and you really don't have one of these issues. And so generalized fear of becoming ill isn't a good enough reason. So if you don't come to work, you get fired. And I have to say, unfortunately, that in many cases will be okay. That could be a legitimate response if there's not a real threat, right? Precautions have been taken and they don't require an accommodation because they don't have any sort of underlying issue. But I do not view this as a black and white issue. I mean, I think employers need to demonstrate flexibility. They need to demonstrate empathy, and they need to take the time to understand the employee's hesitancy and and actually take the time to allay their concerns by sharing everything that they're doing to help keep them safe. And that includes some of the cleaning that we just discussed. Screening is also an area that many employers will want to partake in those types of activities. So I'm imagining a scenario where let's say I'm an employee and either I have a health issue, I have a, maybe I live with a family member who has a compromised immune Uh system. Uh Let's say it's health related. Uh To me, that makes it even more prickly than it would be if it were just say childcare. And so for an employee that has an underlying health condition, there are actually legal remedies for them and they will likely be covered under the Americans with Disabilities Act. And so that means that we need to make some sort of accommodation for them. Obviously, we need to talk about what this accommodation looks like, but work from home can be an accommodation. Leave can be an accommodation, whether it's leave with pay or leave without pay, whatever your normal policy looks like there. But that's an area that employers need to be really careful. I think that there will be a lot of, and I'm not an attorney, but we're already seeing lawsuits. And I think there will be a lot of legal actions that come from this pandemic. And an ADA lawsuit is certainly not something that we need on top of that. Yes. And do you think those lawsuits will be stemming from mostly these types of scenarios? I think there will be so many scenarios. I think that there will be lawsuits stemming from certainly ADA. Walmart has already had a lawsuit from a family. An employee died. And I think it had to do with the measures that they were taking. And obviously, the safety and infection control plan and all of those safety measures are something that we want and need to do for our employees to keep them safe. But it does also help provide some legal defense as well. I expect we'll see lawsuits having to do with the Families First Coronavirus Response Act because there are some exemptions for small employers and healthcare providers. And so I could see some employers saying, we're exempt. We don't have to provide this leave. I do. Again, I'm not an attorney, but I certainly expect there to be lawsuits. Right. Well, I think it's almost impossible to have this conversation without bringing up the liability concerns. Yeah, absolutely. 
So it sounds like based on what you've said, if you're following some of the CDC guidelines, you're documenting that you're following all of these best practices, that is probably 80%. And the communication along with the communication is probably absolutely would go a long way towards protecting. And it's interesting as well that I think you were talking about earlier about communicating with the team and genuinely exhibiting that you are concerned. Unfortunately, I mean, I've seen, read about, heard about some stories where employers are not doing that. And Uh we're talking about it like, yes, we know this is important. This is obvious, but it's definitely not happening. It's not. Sadly, in the best of circumstances, forget a COVID world. There are just many employers that don't take the time to communicate. And and those employers are missing out on the engaged workforce that they need to help them achieve and be successful. And if they are successful, they could be more successful by taking the time. Sadly, over the course of the last couple months, I have heard about employers that are laying their employees off by email, not a conversation. And I get, obviously, it can't be face-to-face right now, but a Zoom would be fine, a phone call. An employee should not find out that they're being laid off via email. That's horrible. Horrible. I think the worst types of things that I've heard about are basically employers that want to spy on you while you're at home. And to that, I would say, if you trust your employees, you trusted them enough to hire them. And so if you hired them, you should be comfortable with them working from home. And employers need to start looking at work from the perspective of what are the goals What are the outcomes that we're looking for our employees to achieve? Because you know what? Your employees can be sitting in your office all day. They can have their butt in their chair and they can be on the internet, on Facebook playing all day. And so it's a a change in mindset that's needed. And I think that if you don't trust your employees, that there are much bigger issues that will likely manifest itself in other ways. Definitely. Definitely. And I think if you are not tuned into the communication and the, the trust in your employees, that when this turns around, you risk losing them to employers who have been doing a much better job of communicating and exhibiting the type of culture that is attractive. That's right. And the job market has been difficult over the last couple years. But after this pandemic, there will be a lot more opportunities for employees, perhaps, when hiring resumes. And I think they'll remember the way they were treated during this time. Exactly. Agree. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the different types of leave that you mentioned. Where do you want to start with that? Sure. So in the middle of March, the Families First Coronavirus Response Act was passed. And this new law provided for two types of leave. It provides for sick leave and it provides for emergency FMLA leave. Now, the sick leave component is up to two weeks of leave for certain COVID-19 related purposes. I can quickly go through those. So if the employee is subject to a federal, state, or local quarantine or isolation order, 
if the employee has been advised by a healthcare provider to self-quarantine, if the employee is experiencing symptoms and seeking a medical diagnosis, if the employee is caring for an individual described in one of the areas I just mentioned, if the employee is caring for a son or a daughter, and then the final reason is very broad, if the employee is experiencing a similar condition. But there is a cap on that, and that cap is for the first three reasons, the amount is up to $500 a day. So it's the regular pay up to a cap of $511 a day and $5110 in the aggregate. And then if leave is needed for the final three reasons that I discussed, the pay would be at two-thirds of the employee's rate of pay up to a daily cap of 200 per day and $2,000 in the aggregate. So that is the emergency paid sick leave portion of the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. Then there's the emergency family and medical leave piece of it. And typically, employers are used to FMLA being unpaid and only provided for employers that have 50 or more employees. But any employer for both of these leaves that have 500 or fewer employees need to provide this leave. And then, so the Emergency Family and Medical Leave Act provides up to 12 weeks of leave at two-thirds of the employee's pay up to a cap of $200 per day. The first two weeks of that are unpaid, but they can, for those first two weeks, they can use that paid sick leave that we just discussed. It's a lot of information and we covered it very quickly. It's a complex piece of legislation, in fact, but certainly happy to provide any additional information to your clients who might be looking for that. As I mentioned, this is a requirement for businesses with fewer than 500 employees, but there are some exemptions for small businesses. But you can't simply say, I have fewer than 50 employees, so I don't have to provide this leave. There are certain criteria that you have to meet and you need to document. And an important thing to note about this leave is that it's not paid for by the employer. It's actually paid for by the IRS through tax credits to the employer. To the employer. Okay, that was my next question. Yes, I'm not familiar with this piece of legislation at all. So, and I think this is something that's very important to most of, as you know, many businesses have 500 or fewer employees. So that covers quite a wide group of businesses. It sure does. In fact, I did a webinar on this in April, and I'd certainly be happy to pass that along to you if you or any of your clients might like to know more about it. But it goes into it in very great detail. Okay. And how would they find that? I will send you a link. You know what? I don't have it posted on my website, so perhaps I need to post it there. Okay. Yeah. So that's quite a lot of information with regards to leave. And I can definitely imagine that 
employers will need support in navigating that sounds like a maze. Absolutely. And then it's not, so there's the FFCRA leave that we just discussed. And by the way, it's important to note that this leave is in addition to any leave that employers already provide to their employees. But there are other sick and vacation leave issues that will probably come up. Many employees may have exhausted their paid time off because one of the things that companies were doing before furloughs and layoffs was to keep paying people by having them use their leave to get paid. And so when they get back, they might not have any time left and there could be six months left in the year. So employers need to figure out how are they going to handle vacations and illnesses and needed personal time for the rest of the year. And there's any number of ways that can be handled. Perhaps employers will decide to give additional leave. Perhaps they will say, you don't have leave, but we'll advance you the leave. Some will probably be sticklers and say, no, and you can't have the time off because we've already lost so much revenue. So we need you back and working. So a lot of this will be at the discretion of employers, but I think it's important that employers look at it from an employee relations perspective. There's also sensitivity in the state's in which paid safer sick leave has been passed. Because if employees exhausted their leave and they're in one of those states, they didn't have the opportunity to use that mandated leave. And so employers might have to provide them additional leave, even if they've already exhausted their leave. And and this is an area that I think employers should keep their eyes open for new leave laws, because I think that states and localities will pass leave laws that require employees to provide an extra number of days because of this health emergency. Mm. It's ever-changing. It really is. Or in the case of PPP, it comes out and then it's final, you think, but it's still ever-changing. Isn't it? It would have been nice that when the application for forgiveness that came out, that some guidance and some regulations came out with that as well, wouldn't it? Okay, so... Taking that a step further, so let's say you're an employer and you've reached the point where you either need to furlough or do some temporary layoffs or just completely reduce. What are some considerations for the differences between these types of forms of release? Sure, absolutely. So the considerations are very similar. So a furlough is where an employee is unpaid. So you're putting them on an unpaid leave, but they remain an employee. It's not a separation from employment. A layoff is a separation, a termination from employment. So with a furlough, very important consideration is that employees are not allowed to work. If they work, they have to get paid. And it's especially sensitive for exempt employees because if an exempt employee works even for 15 minutes, they have to get paid for the entire week. Also, with a furlough, we want to ensure that it's communicated in writing. You want to address health insurance options. And this is often dictated by the contract, but the health insurance companies have really been flexible and are encouraging employers to keep their employees on health insurance. So with furlough, it is likely 
that your employees may maintain their health insurance. They also will be eligible for unemployment. That's not state by state. So unemployment is always a state-by-state issue. And in the state of Maryland, anyway, furlough has been eligible for unemployment. But I, we're seeing a lot of change. Unemployment is an area that we've seen a lot of changes. Right. And so furloughed employees are eligible for unemployment. I've noticed that. And I didn't know if that was one of the temporary changes or if that's always been the case. And as you say, it's state by state. As I, In Maryland, it's been, I believe, paid for quite a while. I'm not sure other okay. states. Yeah. So a layoff is, of course, a permanent separation from employment. And so there's loss of benefits. I think the most important piece about layoffs is decide if you're not laying off your whole staff, it's deciding who you're laying off. And that means looking at objective reasons for termination. And we want to make sure that we're not making decisions based on bad reasons like disability or because they're high risk or age or pregnancy or religion. Objective criteria to use when we're making layoffs will be performance. It can be write-ups. It can be performance evaluations. Tenure. Tenure is one of the easier ways to make those decisions, but it's generally not going to serve you best. Mm. Production and sales numbers, that's objective. History of tardiness, email conversations that never made it to the file. Those are all good objective reasons. You also want to consider WARN, which is the Workers Adjustment Retraining Notification Act, and this requires that certain employers, not all employers, that certain employers give notice of a mass layoff or a plant closing. And then with a layoff, there are additional benefits that employees may be eligible for, perhaps severance, perhaps outplacement. I recognize that these are costly benefits, so it's possible employers might not be able to afford that right now. Again, you know, the way we treat our employees during these times, they remember. And that's important for your employers, your clients' employment brand. Absolutely. Before resorting to furloughs or layoffs, there are some other measures that you might consider as well, perhaps reducing compensation. And in this way, everyone kind of feels a little bit of the pain, right, rather than a few employees losing their jobs. And the few considerations there are that compensation adjustments are made prospectively rather than retroactively because the employee needs to be given the opportunity to decide, hey, am I good with this new deal, right? Because you have this really uh, an employment contract that exists. And if you're changing that deal, they need to be given the opportunity to say, no, I don't think I want to work here anymore. Got it. A lot of reasons for you to stay very employed anyway. There's going to be no reduction in force for Lisa Schuster anytime soon. 
Well, it's been a very busy time for my business, and I didn't know what would happen. But yes, employers need assistance with all of these things that you're discussing. And so whether it's helping them return their employees to work or helping them understand the provisions of the Families First Coronavirus Response Act and the leave eligibility or how they administer these new leave programs, yes, it has certainly kept my business very busy. So I'm very, I'm very fortunate in that regard. Well, I'm glad to hear that. But not just for the selfish reasons to see you doing well, but also because I know there are businesses who desperately need good guidance. There's been so much legislation and so many changes. And like we were just saying on a daily basis, it's so difficult to keep track of the changes. It's like a maze. It's so true. And even nothing is exempt from impact to this. And you're familiar, I'm sure, with some of the benefits changes. So there were changes to 401ks, allowing for hardship reductions and suspending minimum distributions and delaying loan repayment. There have been changes to HSAs and flexible spending accounts as a result of this. It just seems that everything is impacted. So yes, from an HR perspective, so much impact. Yes, you're right. We definitely followed the CARES Act very closely with those changes that you just mentioned. HR is definitely beyond my bailiwick. So that's where I look to you for all the good guidance. So, And I've so enjoyed working with you over the last several years. And now I've just been reminded I need to look at my employee handbook. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. So Lisa, if someone's been listening and they realize, oh my gosh, I really need some help navigating all of this, what's the best way for them to learn more about your practice and connect with you? Sure. You can go onto my website and that's www.peopleworksllc.com. You can connect with me on LinkedIn at Lisa Schuster, and that's S-H-U-S-T-E-R, or you can just give me a call or drop me an email. And my email address is Lisa at peopleworksllc.com, or I can be reached at 240-812-2209. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. I'm sure you have just been working nonstop through this entire crisis and really appreciate you taking some of your time to share some of your knowledge. It's my pleasure, Karen. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, cheers and be well. Thanks again for listening. Please follow us on Spotify if you're not already so you don't miss any future episodes. We'd also love for you to connect with us on social. Search Karen Coyne CFP on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. If you have feedback or if we can be of service in any way, please let us know. And now for the standard disclosures. Opinions expressed are those of Karen Coyne and not those of Raymond James Financial Services or Raymond James. Securities offered through Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA CIPIC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors Incorporated. Karen Coyne Strategic Wealth Advisors located at 12920 Connemore Drive, Suite 202, Hagerstown, Maryland, 21742. Phone 301-739-7002. Raymond James is not affiliated with Lisa Schuster or PeopleWorks. Any opinions expressed by Lisa Schuster are not necessarily those of Raymond James. This podcast is for informational purposes only. For legal advice, please consult your attorney.